Marking history, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi makes way for a new generation of leaders. House Democrats get stuff done. The man on track to replace Pelosi now poised to make history of his own. What are his plans? Congressman Hakeem Jeffries joins me exclusively next. And gearing up after winning narrow control of the House, Republicans look ahead to their time in power. What will they do with it? We're going to give you a government that is held accountable. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden. Plus, he's back. Former President Trump is back on the trail, back on Twitter, and back to being under the shadow of a special counsel probe. I will ensure that the special counsel receives the resources to conduct this work quickly and completely. What does that mean going forward? January 6th committee member Congressman Adam Kinzinger is ahead. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is thinking there is so much fresh content, and yet we're about to watch a rerun. This morning, President Biden celebrates his 80th birthday. He says he's planning to run for a second term in 2024, and his opponent could very well be Donald Trump, who just announced he's running for president. He'll do that under the shadow of a brand new special counsel investigation, and if he wants, Trump can now tweet again after his ban was lifted. If all that sounds a little too familiar, there are changes coming to politics in Washington, D.C., specifically to the U.S. House. This week, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the other two top House Democrats said they're going to make way for a new generation of Democratic leaders. Pelosi's decision brings to a close a consequential two decades of leading Democrats in the House. It also ushers in a relative youth movement. Pelosi, House Democratic leader Steny Hoyer and Democratic Whip James Clyburn, all of them are older than 80 the members on track to replace them, Hakeem Jeffries, Catherine Clark, and Pete Aguilar, are in their 50s and, in Aguilar's case, 40s. Congressman Jeffries is currently running unopposed for the top job. In addition to being 30 years younger than Nancy Pelosi, he will be the first black American to ever lead a political party in the U.S. Congress. A former Brooklyn lawyer and the son of a social worker and a substance abuse counselor, Jeffries took office in 2013 and allied himself with Pelosi. He even nominated her for speaker in the last Congress. Let me be clear. House Democrats are down with NDP. Jeffries will be without question the first congressional leader to ever paraphrase naughty by nature on the floor of the House. And he joins me exclusively now. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much. Congratulations on your announcement. I have to say, I've never seen such a major transition from leaders to leaders, so well choreographed with so little apparent rancor. How did this happen? What happened behind the scenes? Well, first, let me just say uh, good morning, Jake. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, And it's an honor to stand on the shoulders of such an extraordinary group of leaders, Jim Clyburn, Steny Hoyer, and of course, Nancy Pelosi, a historic speaker, a legendary leader, Uh, someone who has left uh, an incredible footprint for good, for change, for positivity, for progress for the American people over the decades that she has been able to lead us in the Congress. Did you get any sort of heads up that she was not going to run for for leader of the Democrats? When did you learn she was going to step back? Well, I think all of us learned definitively uh, that she was planning to Uh, step back when she delivered that speech on the House floor. It was a historic speech for the ages by a speaker for the ages. I thought it was so incredibly well done, eloquent, forceful, positive, uh, and captured the essence of who she's been 
over the years a champion for the children, a champion for the environment, a champion for human rights. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the decisions that the House Democratic Caucus will make uh, next Wednesday, November 30th. Uh, and then we'll take it one step at a time until we get to that point. Uh, but the future uh, is encouraging, is bright, coming out of these midterm elections where extremism was rejected, election denialism was rejected, uh, and we're looking forward to a moment of continuing to be able to make progress for everyday Americans all across the country. Normally, one would think uh, the retirement of someone like Speaker Pelosi, who's been in charge of the Democrats in the House for 20 years, that that would set off a, a mad scramble of individuals running uh, to replace her as top Democrat. But that didn't happen. As of right now, you are running unopposed. A lot of people thought that maybe Hoyer or even Clyburn would try to become speaker or try to become a House Democratic leader. Uh, that didn't happen. So obviously you, you must have been campaigning behind the scenes in the inevitability of her retirement. Um, I know you don't want to jinx anything, but you are running unopposed right now. How did you manage to consolidate the vote? Well, let me say, you know, Catherine Clark, who's currently our assistant speaker, Pete Aguilar, who's currently the vice chair, uh, have been part of the leadership team over the last few cycles, working hard uh, in connection with Speaker Pelosi, the Biden administration and others to deliver for everyday Americans. I've had the opportunity over the last two terms to serve as chair of the House Democratic Caucus. And my goal has really been just to work hard to bring people together, to legislate with precision, to message with discipline, to communicate our values, the fact that we stand for freedom, uh, that we stand for unity, we stand for democracy, we stand for progress for all Americans across the country. Uh, and my focus, Jake, has really been do the job that I have as caucus chair to the best of my ability and try and let the rest take care of itself. You have split with the uh, far-left progressive ring of your caucus at, at times, including Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York in the past. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez told the New York Times she still was processing the change and, quote, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in our caucus, unquote. Do you agree that your caucus needs healing? And if so, how will you achieve that, given that you will be ultimately the Democratic leader? Well, I have great respect for Representative Ocasio-Cortez and every single member of the House Democratic Caucus, from Representative Ocasio-Cortez to Representative Josh Gottheimer, my good friend, and all points in between. The majesty of the House Democratic Caucus is that we are so incredibly diverse in terms of race and gender and religion and sexual orientation, region, uh, life experience, and even ideology from the left to progressives, uh, new Dems, blue dogs, moderate and centrist Democrats, all points in between. The thing about us, Jake, is that while we can have some noisy conversations at times about how we can make progress for the American people, what we've seen is that under the leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Standing Hoya, Jim Clyburn, we've constantly been able to come together time and time again, whether that was the American Rescue Plan, saving the economy, putting shots in arms, money in pockets, kids back in school, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, creating millions of good paying jobs, fixing our crumbling infrastructure, gun safety legislation for the first time in 30 years that will save lives. Obviously, there's more that needs to be done. The Chips and Science Act, bringing domestic manufacturing jobs back home to the mm -hmm. United States of America, as opposed to our jobs going in the other direction. And of course, the 
groundbreaking historic inflation reduction act which is going to lower health care costs energy costs and the high price of life-saving prescription drugs my point is jake uh, that though people have doubted us, tried to create this frame of Democrats in disarray, we always are consistently able to come together, find the highest common denominator, get things done for everyday Americans, and make progress. Well, it's not me. I mean, Congressman Clyburn is the one who said that all the language of uh, defunding the police hurt Democrats in the 2020 elections and, and was, was damaging. Uh, I want to ask you, though, uh, you're, you're portraying a very rosy scenario about how de- well Demo- Democrats are doing. You just lost the House. I mean, your party was just defeated at the House. I, I get that it wasn't uh, as bad a defeat as it could have been, uh, but it wasn't exactly a vote of confidence in House Democrats. Well, what I'll say is that it was historic overperformance by every single measure, uh, almost beyond comparison when you look at the last 100 years when there's a single party in power that controls the House, the Senate, and the presidency, in a president's first midterm election, uh, the average loss of seats is 27. Uh, In fact, I think in 2010, in a similar scenario, we lost about 63 seats. Uh, And so obviously, it was an incredibly strong performance under very difficult circumstances. But you're correct, Jake, we're not satisfied. Our top non-governmental goal must be reclaiming the House in 2024, and I'm committed to making sure that that happens for the good of the American people. But if you take a step back, we held the Senate. Election deniers are on the run, have gone down in flames, have been defeated all across America, held key governorships in the heartland of America, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, and Wisconsin, uh, and of course, flipped state legislative bodies, including in Michigan, and one house in Pennsylvania, which is almost unheard of in a midterm election. Yeah, I notice you're not mentioning New York there because House because Democrats didn't do didn't do too well uh, in New York. And I know you said you you want to uh, get an after action report on that. Um, you said that senior Democratic leadership wants to take a look at raising the debt debt limit before Republicans take over. You said this uh, a few before Pelosi announced her retirement. You said uh, they want to take a look at it so Republicans can't use this as leverage to force spending cuts. But you're about to become the incoming leader. Would you prefer that the Democrats raise the debt limit before McCarthy and the Republicans uh, take control? Well, I think we have to look at all options, uh, but I certainly leave it to Speaker Pelosi and the existing leadership team. And we look forward to working in partnership with them uh, to figure out what's the right approach prior to uh, the end of this calendar year. Speaker Pelosi, I think, has said, and I totally agree, uh, that we have to take a look at doing everything possible to stop Republicans from recklessly holding the economy hostage. I mean, Jake, Kevin McCarthy has said that he is willing to detonate the American economy, default on our nation's debt in order to try to strip away Social Security and Medicare for tens of millions of Americans. So it sounds like incredibly. It sounds reckless. like it sounds like it's you want him to do it. It sounds that like it appears want, to be at the top of his agenda. It sounds like you want Pelosi to work to raise the debt limit now so that McCarthy can't do that, though, right? Well, we're going to have a conversation as Democrats about the best approach, and we obviously have to find common ground with not just 50 Democrats in the Senate, uh, but an additional 10 Republicans in order to be able to make some kind of change uh, to the debt ceiling. But it appears to me that that is the right thing to do to try to prevent 
Kevin McCarthy from being able to hold the American economy Mm -hmm. hostage. All right, Congressman, stay right there. I have more questions for you. We're going to ask about how you're going to work with Kevin McCarthy as potential speaker. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. We are back exclusively with New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, who is running unopposed to become the leader of the Democrats in the House. Congressman, thanks so much uh, for staying with us. What is your relationship like with your Republican counterpart, Kevin McCarthy, who wants to be the speaker? When when was the last time you spoke with him? I haven't had a conversation with uh, Leader McCarthy recently. I do have, I think, a much warmer relationship with Steve Scalise. Look forward to working uh, whenever and wherever possible, however, Jake, with the entire House Republican Conference and the leadership team to find common ground to get things done for everyday Americans to make progress. Uh, But of course, we will fiercely uh, and vigorously oppose any attempts at Republican overreach uh, and any Republican extremism. And I'm hopeful uh, that the Republican leadership Uh, will take lessons away from the rejection of extremism by the American people all across the land and not double and triple down on it in the next Congress. Do you think he's fit to be the next leader, Kevin McCarthy, the next leader of the Republicans? You've had some harsh words for him uh, saying it's impossible to take him seriously. And when people ask you about Kevin McCarthy, you say, Kevin, who do you think he's fit to be Speaker of the House? Well, that's a decision ultimately that the House Republican Conference is going to have to make. He does seem to be struggling to get to 218. Let's see what happens on January 3rd. There is going to be, because of uh, the narrow majority that House Republicans are going to have, uh, the far right wing, the MAGA caucus, is going to be empowered and emboldened. It's going to make it tougher for McCarthy to govern as Speaker if he does, in fact, become Speaker. Um, If Kevin McCarthy needs votes to pass essential legislation such as keeping the government open or raising the debt limit, will Democrats be willing to help him if the Freedom Caucus folks, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, uh, refuse to participate? Well, it seems to me that that's a case-by-case basis, but Democrats have always been willing to lean in on making sure that we fully fund the government, and Democrats have always been willing to lean in and making sure that we meet our nation's obligations and do not default on our debt for the first time in American history. I think it's also important uh, to point out, Jake, that we have consistently fought against extremism on the Republican side, uh, including uh, when it manifested itself often during the uh, former president's tenure, while at the same time being able to find common ground to make progress for the American people. We did it with criminal justice reform. I was Delighted to be involved personally in trying to negotiate historic criminal justice reform uh, with the Trump administration, working with my colleague, uh, former Republican Congressman Doug Collins from Georgia. Uh, Certainly, Speaker Pelosi led the effort uh, to make sure that we could arrive at an agreement around the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement reform, the new NAFTA, in a way that benefited working families, uh, organized labor, Uh, and people from the heartland and throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we consistently have found common ground, even with some of the most recent legislative victories during this current Congress. I hope that that's a record that we can build upon moving forward. House Republicans announced this week their oversight plans, which include taking a look at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the origins of COVID, the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago. 
I can see that there could be theoretically legitimate oversight questions on, on each of those topics that could be asked. Will House Democrats participate in these investigations in good faith, or do you see it as your role to defend the Biden administration? Well, we will absolutely defend the Biden administration and his track record of success uh, if it comes under assault uh, by people attempting to politicize uh, our governmental responsibilities without question. Uh, And I expect that we will strongly and vigorously uh, be involved in pushing back against any effort at overreach by the extreme MAGA Republican wing of the House Republican Conference. Uh, At the same time, uh, we're going to continue to try to find common ground legislatively uh, whenever possible. I think that the time for politics ends in the immediate aftermath of a campaign, and there has to be some space to govern. That's what the American people, Democrats, Republicans, independents, people in the North, the South, the East, the West, the Midwest, want to see happen. Democrats are willing to lean into that regard. Uh, I'm hopeful Uh, that my Republican colleagues will join us. Lastly, sir, uh, Elon Musk reinstated uh, Donald Trump uh, to Twitter yesterday. Uh, Just to remind folks at home, Trump wasn't banned for mean tweets. He was banned because he used the platform to incite a violent insurrection on the Capitol. Uh, What's your reaction to Trump being reinstated on Twitter? You know, I have no reaction at this point in time to anything that Elon Musk or Donald Trump uh, does particularly as it relates to social media, I am going to continue to try to lean into the principles of equal protection under the law, liberty and justice for all, government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and build upon the amazing progress that House Democrats have brought to bear in partnership with Senate Democrats and President Biden, and continue uh, to push for American exceptionalism throughout the country. All right, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat of New York and likely the next leader of House Democrats. It would be a a historic moment. Uh, Congressman, congratulations ahead of time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jake. Coming up next, Donald Trump's big announcement prompts a big move by the Justice Department. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Republican of Illinois, is coming up next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Here we go again. Former President Donald Trump is free to tweet after Twitter's owner, Elon Musk, lifted a ban on Trump's account based on the results of an Internet poll. Trump, of course, was banned from Twitter after the January 6th insurrection for violating the company's policy against glorification of violence. Joining us now to discuss January 6th House Committee member, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. So Trump was taken off Twitter in the first place for inciting the violent insurrection against the Capitol. You're a member of the committee investigating the insurrection. What do you make of Elon Musk reinstating Donald Trump? Well, look, I mean, I I get that people are on all sides of this debate. The fact that he did it with a poll of which, you know, however many percent of those could have been bots that aren't real people voting in that. Uh, Secondarily, I don't know if, you know, that decision should be made by some poll. I mean, what happened, I, if you remember specifically when this was all done, so not only was he lighting and accelerating the fire on January 6th, also before January 6th with his conspiracies, at the end of the day, he said, this is what you get 
when a victory is so unceremoniously basically taken away from the American people. So not only when it was done did he have any remorse, he said, well, of course you guys had an insurrection because that's what you get when you steal an election. I mean, I remember seeing that specific tweet and, and just being outraged at how after all this is done, can you still do that? And so now this idea that he's going to come on and be reformed, everybody knows he won't. And by the way, I'll say as a quick aside, the person probably the most upset today is Devin Nunes because this is going to tank Truth Social if he does in fact leave. On Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel to oversee the investigations uh, into Donald Trump's handling of classified documents as well as the one uh, looking at his role in the January 6th insurrection. You have expressed frustration with the Justice Department's approach to Trump in the past. Do you think this is the right move? You know, I'm going to have to leave that to the experts to decide if this was the right thing. Because I, I, I don't know where the Justice Department is in their investigation. Let's say, for instance, they were very close to indictment and then they switch to this because he's running for office, then I think that's an unnecessary delay. But then again, uh, if we're trying to do the best we can to take politics out of it, first off, there are a lot of people that will never be satisfied that there's no politics because that's how they frankly raise money is to, to convince people that there's some conspiracy out there. Uh, but I think what we're going to be able to judge us by is what the ultimate outcome is. Um, will he, will uh, this uh, special prosecutor get to, or independent counsel get to a... Uh, uh, a belief uh, that he was guilty or not will be based on the evidence and, and what will be the result of Donald Trump. But look, if the former president thinks that just sim- by simply announcing he's running for president, he can obstruct justice, uh, I mean, that would be a bad precedent, of course, because anybody that's under investigation could just announce they're running for president in this country. The January 6th committee uh, is going to wrap up its work by the end of the year, and it seems likely you'll have to do so without hearing from former Vice President Mike Pence. Here's what he told me about that a few days ago. Congress has no right to my testimony. The very notion of a committee on Congress, in Congress, summoning a vice president to speak about deliberations that took place at the White House, I think would violate that separation of powers. Now, of course, as the committee notes, that did not stop Pence from detailing some of those deliberations and conversations in his new book, So Help Me God. What do you make of what you've heard from Pence this week since rolling out this book? Look, it's really disappointing. So I think Mike Pence is trying to do to please two different groups. He's trying to please those that are concerned with Trump and those that really like Donald Trump. And here's something I've learned, Jake, in kind of the last five years. You can't please them both. You you really, you just have to pick. You have to be committed to whatever you believe truth is and pick that side. So he can't, on the one hand, say that what Donald Trump did was terrible. It was a threat to our democracy. And then say, but Congress has no right to my testimony. Look, I fully believe in the separation of powers. But that was violated on January 6th when the former president launched a a mob into uh, the legislative chambers, violated that separation of power. Um, And of course, we have oversight responsibility. We're not subservient to the president in the Congress. We are a co-equal branch. The other thing that the uh, vice president said after that was that this is a partisan exercise. And I I just want to remind people, it has been a very partisan exercise because the only people we've really interviewed and have testified have all been Republicans. Um, And so, yeah, there have been a ton of Republicans coming in and talking about what the former president did and what he knew. And people may not, you know, fully love what Liz and I are doing if you're a Republican. But guess what? We haven't changed our belief system. A lot of other people have. This is a bipartisan committee doing bipartisan work. And I think, frankly, history will judge this very well. Before the election, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican of Georgia, pledged that, quote, not another penny will go to Ukraine 
under a Republican-led Congress. What is your response to her? And how worried are you that with this narrow majority, uh, she is going to be newly empowered in the Republican House? Well, first off, she will be newly empowered. And, and the fact that she's supporting Kevin McCarthy means that he's made a lot of promises to her. Just tr- trust me, that's how this business works. In terms of the commitment to Ukraine, I mean, she even posted a video the other day of some wounded Ukrainian soldiers and said basically they were being abused and used. Um, look, when you're her, she's a millionaire. You've never sacrificed for a thing in your life. You've never served anything but yourself and your own goals. I can't expect her to understand what it means to actually defend democracy physically. Um, she, can, she can pretend like she knows all she wants. She obviously doesn't. So I think it's going to be a tough fight for Ukraine. I think there's still a strong bipartisan support. But I would not be surprised if Kevin McCarthy has to cut deals with Democrats, which is something he needs to keep in mind, because he's not going to get 218 votes for everything he wants to pass, including government funding. Uh, because he's got people that will never vote yes on anything. I've done this business for a while, and I'll tell you, they're just the, the hope yes, vote no caucus. They vote no on everything, or now they're only going to vote for the most conservative stuff. What kind of speaker do you think Kevin will be, Kevin McCarthy? Look, I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said a pretty good one. Now I think he has cut so many deals uh, with bad people to get to this position that I think he's not going to be a leader at all. I think he'll be completely hostage to kind of the extreme wings of the Republican Party. And uh, I frankly don't think he's going to last very long. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but uh, it, it's sad to see a man that I think had so much potential just totally sell himself. He's the one that resurrected Donald Trump. The second he went to Mar-a-Lago a week or two after January 6th, he resurrected Donald Trump politically. So he owns everything that Trump says now as a candidate for re-election. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Republican of Illinois, thanks so much. Good to see you, sir. You bet. You too. Next, House Republicans preview how they intend to use the majority to launch investigations into the Biden White House and the Biden family. Stay with us. We as Republicans and our elected leaders must do more than criticize and complain. Personality and celebrity just aren't going to get it done. We can see that. They don't want chaos. They want strength and stability and unity. We didn't have that. In times like these, there is no substitute for victory. Republican potential presidential candidates making their pitch to the Republican Jewish Coalition Convention in Las Vegas. Welcome back to State of the Union. My panel joins me now. Uh, Brad, let me start with you. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump's announcement this week does not really, at least from where I sit, does not seem to have deterred uh, a number of individuals who might run, at least based on those clips. What do you think? No, open primaries are the only kind we have uh, on the Republican side. He will have opposition. I think the real question is whether he ends up with multiple opposition or just Governor DeSantis of Florida. I think there's going to be a pretty big move by major donors to try to coalesce around Governor DeSantis. Uh, I think other people are going to toy with it and consider it. He probably can't get in until July, probably shouldn't get in until July. Why? He's got a legislative session to go through. And the other American people don't really want all-time campaigning. They just finished the midterms. I think they want a break. Politicians, if they're smart, will give them a break. Uh, and I think that if I was Governor DeSantis, I wouldn't get in anytime soon. And Sarah, what do you think? Uh, because one of, the, one of the things that's interesting is uh, hardly any of those individuals uh, mentioned Donald Trump by name, even though clearly they were talking about him one way or the other. Chris Christie, 
called them out on that in an interview saying there's a number of people who are considering running for president who still treat him like Voldemort, like he who shall not be named. I think that fails the leadership test. You're going to run against him. Say his name. You think he did something wrong. Say his name. What do you think? Yeah, I do think that people need to get into the race if they um, want to take him on and they're going to have to eventually attack him. I think right now, though, the strategy that you're seeing from someone like Ron DeSantis to not take the bait, not call him out by name and to kind of not engage is smart because that's what Trump wants. He wants to get under his skin and he wants to get the attention and, you know, kind of get the clicks. But I think that um, for right now, it's best to not engage with Trump. But I think with Trump back on Twitter... Help us all. He hasn't tweeted yet. <laughs> I noticed that. But it's going to almost be impossible not to because he's going to engage with them. So is Ron DeSantis really going to have the ability to hold back? And I think that's going to be true for anybody yeah. who's thinking about getting in. That is the way Donald Trump works. He will engage you. And then it's your are you really going to stand by and stand back and just get attacked? They're, and they're all going to get their own nicknames. Yes. You know, right. I, I think can't, Pompeo said something about that. Right. Uh, and I mean, I can't wait to see Mike Pence's nickname. Um, but what struck me just watching that is how many people who are standing up there, potentially putting their name out on the ballot for 2024, um, are complicit with mm-hmm. what happened under the Trump administration and complicit with January 6th. How are they going to run in a primary against Donald Trump and, and position themselves as being different, better, less divisive than Donald Trump. Well, they were the right election, there. The elections are about the future. Voters tend to look out the windshield, not, the, not in the rearview mirror for the Except elections. Except for and this so, past election. Uh, you know, I think Donald, we know Donald Trump's a pretty good predator in campaigns, right? He's, he's not always good at picking his person, but he's good at tearing someone else down. But he also has a different opponent this time. It's not just those people who are running. Some of it's exhaustion, even within the Republican primary. And I think exhaustion with him, with him. I think the one thing he has to be concerned with is he's entered very, very early and he has to have the attention span and the tolerance of the Republican base who might be a little bit worn out right now. I I don't know that I would have entered as soon as he did. Mm -hmm. uh, And I don't know that I would run this thing at Mach 10 the whole time. Well, he obviously thought that he was going to be announcing on the heels of a victory. Yeah. Right. Oops, that didn't happen. Uh, That red wave never manifested. And I think the other challenge that they're going to have with a Republican House led Congress that is just hell bent on investigations. That is all about the past. Right. Hunter Biden. COVID is going to be one. How COVID started is one of them. That's all look about looking about the past. That's all about dividing this country. That is not about dealing with inflation. That is not about bringing the country together. And if you're running for president, you're supposed to be the person who can be the boss of the whole Republican hey, hang Party. Hang on. When, when Democrats took over the House in 2018, within five months, they had 14 different committees investigating the Republican administration. It's a legitimate congressional function, and that's what's going to happen. Let's, let's, I just want to interrupt just to show people what we're talking about here, because these are some of the topics that House Republicans have talked about that they want to launch oversight investigations. There's the southern border, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the Justice Department in terms of uh, the FBI um, seizing the materials from Mar-a-Lago, uh, and then uh, Hunter Biden. So I just wanted to just... And there, is a, there is absolutely a legitimate congressional function to provide oversight of the executive branch. However, just take Republicans for their word, the new Republican majority in the House for their word. This is about revenge politics. Mm-hmm. They're doing this to weaken Joe Biden. That's what they have said on the record. And I think they, you know, I think we would all agree that they need to be really careful here and not overreach because ultimately that list 
is not going to weaken Joe Biden. It is going to strengthen Joe Biden because they are not paying attention to what the American people told them. Well, James Comer, who's chair of the Oversight Committee, has said he's not interested in investigating the Mar-a-Lago raid. However, he is interested in investigating whether the Department of Justice coordinated with outside actors when it declared people who go to school boards to voice their opinions to be domestic terrorists. That's a legitimate function. We also have had zero hearings in the U.S. House looking into the botched withdrawal of Afghanistan. That's a legitimate oversight function. And I think once you see this Congress take shape, you're going to see that. Uh, There have been hearings. Uh, You know, I just think that this is the tail wagging the dog. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy, if he becomes speaker, is not going, going to be able to control his caucus. And we know, because we've all been through this before, what's going to happen. They're going to make a mockery of the system and completely overreach, but they're going to be investigating someone. They're investigating Joe Biden. The American people do not think that he is a crook. They do not think that he is corrupt. That's right. So, At- yeah, so, so Sarah, I want to bring you in here because, uh, look, I, I agree with Brad that there, there is a legitimate oversight function of Congress, and it's a shame that parties never investigate their own party uh, in the White House, whether it's Republicans investigating Trump or Democrats investigating Biden. That said, I think one of the things Stephanie's talking about um, is when Republicans controlled uh, the House in the 90s, there were some really bizarre, you, were, you, you don't remember, but there were some really, <laughs> there were some really bizarre moments. So the Congressman Dan Burton from Indiana talked, remember this? He was, he was looking into the Vince Foster yep. and, uh, suicide, and he like fired his gun into a pumpkin to see. I mean, there was some weird stuff. And the question is, which Republicans are going to be in charge of these investigations? Is it going to be the the more serious, sober Republicans, McCall, Turner, et cetera, or is it going to be the Marjorie Taylor Greens? I do think it's going to be more of the Marjorie Taylor Greens because I think that um, to secure the gavel, McCarthy is obviously making concessions to people in the far right like Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's why you're seeing her come out so forceful and defending him and pushing him. And, you know, clearly he's promised her something, and I think you're going to see her— I, I think it's been reported that she wants to be on oversight. So you're going to see her probably get a plumb position on a very important committee that's going to have a lot of power. I do think there is legitimacy to some of these investigations, to Brad's point. Um, but I did think it was strange that um, House Republicans came out of the gate saying, we're going to investigate Hunter Biden, when I think there are so many other issues that voters want to see them tackle, like the border crisis, like inflation, gas prices, you name it. So I did think that was an odd strategy. Yeah, to be continued, uh, we'll have a lot of committee hearings to talk about. I <laughs> promise you'll get to weigh in, Karen. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, and happy Thanksgiving. Only one U.S. president has promised to fundamentally change our relationship with the rulers of Saudi Arabia. Spoiler alert. Didn't really pan out. That's next. In a legal filing Thursday night, the Biden administration sided with this man, even though its own office of the director of national intelligence previously wrote, quote, we assess that Saudi Arabia's crown prince Mohammed bin Salman approved an operation in Istanbul, Turkey, to capture or kill Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, unquote. At issue was a 2020 lawsuit against 37-year-old Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, and 28 others in D.C. Federal District Court, accusing them of, quote, acting in a conspiracy and with premeditation to kidnap, bind, drug, torture, and assassinate Jamal Khashoggi, a resident of the U.S., who wrote for the Washington Post at the time. The 2018 murder took place at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, Khashoggi's body was dismembered with a bone saw, one source told the New York Times. His remains were never found. Now, MBS denies ordering the murder, but then-candidate Joe Biden did not believe him, 
saying it shocked him to his very soul and would change how he, as president, would treat the Saudis. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered, and I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. But as president, Mr. Biden did decide to sell more weapons to Saudi Arabia, $650 million worth in 2021. And then earlier this year, met with and fist bumped MBS. Biden said he brought up the murder in their meeting, but it clearly annoyed him when we in the news media focused on this. Why don't you guys talk about something that matters? I'm happy to ask a question that matters. This week, the Biden Justice Department says it sided with MBS against the lawsuit because MBS is now prime minister, quote, the sitting head of government and accordingly is immune from this suit per precedent and international law. But that promotion to prime minister by his father, King Solomon, who would normally hold that title, that promotion came last month, just a few days before the Biden administration was supposed to weigh in on this immunity issue. As Fred Ryan, the Washington Post's publisher and CEO, noted in a statement Friday, quote, while legitimate heads of government should be protected against frivolous lawsuits, the Saudis' decision to make MBS prime minister was a cynical, calculated effort to manipulate the law and shield him from accountability. Ryan says Biden was essentially, quote, granting a license to kill to one of the world's most egregious human rights abusers, who was responsible for the cold-blooded murder of Jamal Khashoggi, unquote. It is worth noting, though the court did invite the Biden administration to weigh in on this issue of immunity, the Biden administration did not have to do so. They could have stayed silent. The U.S. has a long and shameful history when it comes to American presidents going along with Saudi human rights abuses because they control so much of the fossil fuels to which our country is so addicted. But there's only one politician who promised he would be different, who pledged that he would make this thug a pariah, who made his stark morality on this one man such a vivid campaign issue. And that's Joe Biden, who said this in 2019. There's very little social redeeming value of the, in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. He was not wrong. A few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal reported that MBS, quote, mocks President Biden in private, making fun of the 79-year-old's gaffes and questioning his mental acuity, according to people inside the Saudi government, unquote. Nothing gets leaked by the Saudi government to the Wall Street Journal without MBS signing off on it, President Biden. What are you, what are we, getting in exchange for letting this thug get away with murder, Mr. President? other than the stink of complicity. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria GPS starts next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.